Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We're back today with another book review episode. We are putting another edition into the Penguin Little Black Classics collection. We've been reviewing these for what feels like 50 years now, but that's just quarantine time dilation happening, so it's actually not been that long. It's been maybe over a year. We're on episode number 75 today. We're going to review Kasyan from the Beautiful Lands, which is a collection of two short stories by Ivan... Turgenev, Amanda, I believe, is what we agreed to. Yeah. <laughs> Tur- Turgen- I was going to say Turgenev. It's Turgenev. And well, I just listened to it, and it's like, Turgenev. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to be careful with, when you're, when you're messing around, when you're dipping into foreign languages, you got to be careful with those pronunciations, because if you try and go f- fully naturalistic, you sound like you're being an ass. You sound All like right. you're taunting. You know, it's there's a fine line between respecting the actual sounds pronunciations intonations and then just being a dick so you know yes so I'll, you know we're trying to walk that line it's not an easy one but anyway joining me as always co-host amanda is here to help with the pronunciations and to fill in with the research <laughs> department thanks amanda welcome back you're welcome i think <laughs> yeah yeah well hey i'm you know i'm going with turgenev now i'm, just, I'm stuck in that and i'm not going back on it <laughs> stuck in my ways already Today, what we'll be covering, as I said, are a collection of, or is a collection of two short stories by this famous Russian author. We'll begin the review with some basic, what we call like middle school questions about who this person was, what they wrote, and why Penguin included it. I'll begin with the who. Um, Ivan Turgenev was a noble Russian man. He was born into nobility in the 1800s, and so. That was primarily his occupation. I think he was kind of world-traveled. I believe if our research department at Wikipedia is to be believed, he spent some time in living in Germany for a bit, maybe Mm -hmm. Paris or something. Anyway, he seemed to just kind of float around the high-minded literary circles of his time period. He knew uh, contemporaries like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. I think Tolstoy hated him. One, One of them didn't like him, and then they, at some funeral speech one day, they kind of, you know, squashed whatever disagreement was between them between them or something yeah he's just yeah he was widely influential he wrote a few novels and focused on i guess rural russians the the serfs the kind of plight of the serfs was very meaningful to him and he's even sort of credited with bringing about that social change or if not bringing it about helping to bring it about and so that's who he was um what do we have here amanda and why was he important other than i guess i stomped on that a little but (laughs) Fill in the blanks that I didn't. (laughs) You're good. Um, So these are two short, two of his short stories from his very first publication, his first like widely renowned uh, publication, which is a sportsman sketches, which is just a compilation of some of his short stories that did focus on the serfdom and like uh, that was like kind of the the over overarching theme with all those um, stories. Mm -hmm. And the reason that um, we can only speculate, but the reason that probably he's included in this collection is um, he was a contemporary of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. And even though they were contemporaries, he was um, stylistically very different from the two, which is why those two authors and he did not always get along. Yes. Um, Although they had mutual respect for each other. They just didn't uh, agree stylistically because Tolstoy and Dostoevsky felt like he was too Western minded. Um, mm-hmm. which yeah. is interesting because uh, several uh, critics actually say that his style, that um, Turgenev's style is more akin to like Gustave Flaubert, which, who we read 
um, as yes. well. Yes, we collection. also read. Well, granted, because you joined in, you know, halfway through the journey here. I don't remember the exact episode. I, we did Dostoevsky and Tolstoy too. I, I yeah. just don't know if you did those episodes with me or if that was just me or Ryan. I did Tolstoy and Flaubert with you, but I don't think Great. that we did Dostoevsky together. But um, okay. I'm not 100% yeah. on that. I looked back over all the Russians we've covered because the Penguin Little Black <laughs> Classic set is pretty Russian-centric. I don't I don't know if we could call any of it centric to anything except for maybe England probably comes out on top for extremely yeah. obvious reasons. But yeah. yeah, no, I think Russia is way up there. And yeah, yeah, they seem to want to include many of the influential Russian kind of great literary heroes or what have you. Yeah. But we'll hey, see. Oh, how including his, Gogol. Mm-hmm. Go- yes, we Gogol, did Gogol, Gogol as well. Yeah, Gogol. Gogol. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Goethe was German though, right? I couldn't remember. Yeah, Goethe okay. was, was German. Yeah. Um, or Austrian. I, one of those oh, two. Okay. One of those. Yeah. It's, we, we covered our bases there. Yeah. We saved it. We saved it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, Turgenev also uh, influenced other writers, including Henry James, who we've, all, we've also read, and um, yeah. Joseph Conrad. Apparently, they were huge fans of his. This reminded me a ton of Conrad, actually. Hmm. Some Sometimes. Eh, not all the time. Sometimes. Let's jump in, then. We're teasing at the review. Let's get into the review. We'll begin with our one-sentence similes. Amanda, why don't you go first? What was reading this collection like? I said, uh, reading this is like watching a movie with no plot twist. It's really artsy. It's got some interesting characters. And it seems to drop clues that something... Uh, exciting is going to happen but then nothing actually like really happens it's just like a whole lot of introspection and discussion without any um action scenes yeah not a lot of conflict i think would be we could simplify into our uh, preferred middle school vernacular here my preferred (laughs) it's my that's my that's my register uh no but that's yeah, it's rather conflictless. Every time in these, there were only two stories, but every time in them that I felt like, oh, now now's the moment, you know, the shoe's going to drop. Now something strange is going to be revealed. It really was not. So, right. yeah, I think that fits perfectly. I don't like my simile now that I think about it more, but I'm going to stick with it. I put that reading this is like ordering pizza from a new local place you've never tried. So not a chain where, you know, you go to Domino's anywhere, it's going to taste like Domino's but a new local spot. So in all likelihood, at least my experience in Charlotte, I can speak to, usually it's just good. You know, it's like okay to good. I I think pizza has a really high floor, at least for me. I don't know if I've ever had bad pizza, even cardboardy frozen crap. It's like, it's there's cheese in there. You know, it's not, it might not be great <laughs> cheese, but there, I can taste the cheese and it's carbs and you put hot sauce on it and it's fine. And mm-hmm. so I felt that way about this. The reason I'm hating my simile now is because I think I've learned that my my metaphorical floor for Russian literature is actually way lower than I would have had it before, whereas ah. the point I'm making with pizza is that the floor is quite high. But I still think the general reading experience of this was kind of like that, excluded from the Russian context. Just encountering these stories was sort of... I feel like it met some expectations, and I thought, yeah, okay, like, yeah, I'm, in, yeah, I'm getting this, I'm vibing with this. But also, it's, it's just pizza, so I... Felt like the stories were just kind of like, eh, all right. I mean, they, they weren't, they were never going to be awful or something, but they hit that floor, I guess is the point. Yeah. Yeah. Pizza floor. That's what I'm the saying. The pizza floor. Yeah. It's the pizza <laughs> floor, folks. You know, you've been, uh, if you've been listening for 75 episodes, you know what the pizza floor is. You know, you don't need me to explain what the pizza floor is. 
So anyway, let's get out of this segment so I can stop saying pizza floor, or we're going to wrap back around to it later in the reviews, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's I thought it had that that kind of middling quality. Yeah. Let's make some connections, too. I like to begin the episodes, the reviews, with some connections to 2020. I'll take mine on first, Inappropriate Love. I think this is still, it's a sitcom workplace staple. I mean, how many comedies, TV shows, or movies are about people falling in love at work and it being kind of awkward? We love the romantic triangle. That doesn't show up in these, to be clear, but it's more about just socially awkward ways to fall in love and inappropriate social contexts, literal workplace romance. Well, kind of. One of them's at work, anyway. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> I just thought that was... that first story had that kind of plot line going in it and i thought that was that's a pretty timeless thing that we've just warped to our own time period so how about for you amanda um i just said like the complexities of of human nature um what we how we think and how we react in certain situations and um the way that we um socialize and and our belief systems and how they rub off on others that's just that whole like what it means to be human yeah, there's some pretty, I guess we could say, base human interactions in this mm-hmm. set, in this collection. There's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's, some of them are life or death. Some of them are transactional relationships mm-hmm. and interactions. So it kind of does run the gamut. It, there yeah. wasn't one in particular relationship between the characters that stood out to you? Um, I think the probably the biggest thing is just like the way that um, with a stranger, somebody that you know that you'll probably never see again, that you can just open your heart to and just yeah. like spill everything. I think that's because it's in both stories, right? Yeah. So, encounters with strangers. It's really yeah. what both are about. Yeah. No, it's a great pick. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Let's get into it properly then, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Some quotes for clarification. This is the, deeper dive part of the review where we talk about the style and the writing and what we liked or didn't like about it i'll go first again i'll take this one on why not yeah i have a description here of a forest and meadow that i quite enjoyed this is from the second story the beautiful land story i'll try and cut some parts out because it's pretty long but he describes this sort of field meadow as such One's feet were continually becoming entangled and caught by all the tall grass drenched in the sun's heat In all directions, one's eyes were dazzled by the sharp, metallic flashes of light from the young reddish leaves on the saplings. Everywhere in gay abundance appeared sky-blue clusters of vetch, the little golden chalices of buttercups, the the partly mauve, the partly yellow flowers of of St. John and Mary Daisies. Here and there, beside overgrown tracks in which the traces of cartwheels were marked by strips of short-stemmed red grass, rose piles of firewood, stacked in six-foot lengths, and darkened by the wind and the rain. And then later, a light breeze sprang up occasionally, and then it died. It would blow suddenly straight into one's face and caper around, as it were, setting everything happily rustling, nodding and swaying about, making the supple tips of the fern bow bow gracefully, so that one was delighted at it. But then it would fade away again, and everything would be more still. I could go on. It's an extremely long paragraph with just ample description. But it's a good way to lose yourself in just a piece of set dressing, setting up. It's just it's just great setting work. I think he is way more exploratory with his language than the other Russians we've encountered. I don't, it's it focuses a lot more on the surroundings of the happenings instead of just here's people that we're gonna rapid fire talk them. We're gonna 
have him do some plot stuff. We'll get him. We'll get you through this moralizing tale. I think this right. pr- this is just way more content to just meander around, set a tone, mm-hmm. set a mood. I think I like that turn in the paragraph. It's a very. It's kind of a rich and overgrown segment of the forest. And then it has that it's almost like a cloying sinister turn, how the kind of wind, you know, does it doesn't comfort you. It sort of just teases at you and plays at you. It's just a nice bit of personification. It's a bit, it's a bit eerie and creepy, which frankly, I didn't think the story paid off. That was probably right. my big criticism with that. But the description itself, I thought was wonderful and really he just lets himself go a bit. I, it's it's as if the other Russian authors feel so boxed in now that right. I've read this. They just feel like they were stylistically really stuck, and this feels free to me. I don't know yeah. if, what your reaction was to it. No, that I also really enjoyed, um, especially in this story, the descriptions that he includes of nature. It's just, it's a full-on... So Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, they also appreciate nature, Um apparently but you don't get to see that really in their stories because they're so focused on the moralizing aspect yeah and yeah. but turgenev does a really amazing job with um the descriptions where you're just like really you can really see what he's imagining but also the like you were saying it does set a particular mood and in this story in particular he plays with the idea of like the heat and also with death and starvation because mm-hmm. the animals and stuff like that and how that heat just kind of sucks the life out of everything. And it's something that he plays with through all that imagery and it's just really beautifully done mm-hmm. and um, was not what I was expecting based on what we've read with the other Russian writers. <laughs> no, no, it was a massive <laughs> departure in my mind also. And really... The way these stories ended, too, my gosh, especially compared to the Tolstoy, which I know we did together, was one of our least yeah. liked or most disliked things we've covered. Mm-hmm. Could, these stories could not have ended more disparately or what have you than right. that one did. I mean, it, these end with a real whimper, and there's not, you're kind of left to make some conclusions, and uh, Tolstoy is the antithesis of that. So, yeah. How about yeah. quotes for you then? Did you pull one from that story? I, of course I did. And it was for the same reason. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I chose where he's describing um, when he's uh, with Cassian and he's laying on his back, just looking up at the trees and um, the, the sky. And he says, uh, you may fancy you are looking into a bottomless sea that it stretches wide below you, that the trees are not rising out of the earth. But, like the roots of gigantic weeds are dropping, falling straight down into those glassy, limpid depths. The leaves on the trees are at one moment transparent as emeralds, the next they condense into golden, almost black green. And still one fancies one's gaze goes deeper and deeper and draws one with it up into that peaceful, shining immensity, and that one cannot be brought back from that height, that depth. And it's... that. I spliced together um, mm-hmm. those yeah, pieces yeah. just because it's a, a another long paragraph of right. just description, which, you know, normally with long paragraphs like that with short stories, we, we would be like, oh, really? But it's not exposition. It's just exploring the setting and setting a mood. So yeah, I didn't yeah. mind it as much. Um, but what I enjoyed in particular about this description is not only is it great with imagery, you can like really see the trees and the sky and the way that he describes it but also it 
does a great job with kind of playing with opposites where it's like up is down and down is up and we don't know which way is which, which I think ties into what a possible theme could be in his story, which okay, is like yeah. the, the idea of perception and how perception is so changeable according to like how you're looking at things. It's the, their truth is, is based on perception. Right. He immediately in that story doesn't misplace Cassian, but underestimates him. And that comes mm-hmm. up again at the end too. And they're discussing that character and, you know, could he possibly be a healer? What's his role? What's his job? Right. And yeah. the, the appearance of his relative daughter, cousin, whoever the, the niece, whatever. Yeah. Also that was never re- clarified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it also, yeah, that's not a case of opposites, but it is a case of perception. Again, it's a case right. of them having these tri- qualities in common, these traits in common. So, yeah. yeah, no, certainly that that works. The other quote I pulled, I'll throw mine out there again, is just a bit of dialogue. I do think this, unfortunately, does succumb to some of the Russian dialogue of just dramatics and kind of odd pauses. I, I found this in other authors we've covered. I'm just going to read some from page 13. This is from the first story when a woman who is kind of bedridden with disease talks to her doctor. but And they say, and he asks, what's wrong? She says, doctor, I'm going to die, aren't I? God forbid. No, doctor. No, please. D- don't tell me I'll live. Don't say that. Oh, if you only knew. Listen, for God's sake, and don't hide from me what my condition is, really, she spoke, taking such quick breaths. If I know for sure I'm going to die, then I'll tell you everything. Everything. Please, Alexandra Ajanyet. Oh, shit. I shouldn't have picked her name. Andre Nieva. Andre Evna. Andre Evna. Please. Well, the quote's done now, but you get the point. Really, the quote I wanted to pull there was her with the pleading and then the pauses and then the kind of hints that there's some kind of sin or grand mistake she's made. I do think that those religious undertones come through in both. Both stories have characters deeply concerned about sin and about Mm -hmm. wrongdoing and having done a mortally incorrect thing and paying for it or in some ways paying for it. And so I think... I liked both of these more than Tolstoy, for example, much more. But yeah. it did have some of that stiffness when they would talk. Like it, but again, well, not again, but I haven't said this today. But contextually, that could just be I live two hundred years away from these people and across the world. It could just right. be that the lives they had as serfs, people living with under serfdom in a extremely, I think it's Catholic part of the world or Orthodox, whatever Russian Orthodox stuff. It could just be that they communicate differently. But to me, it just reads as kind of heavy and stiff. Some of the dialogue, it doesn't feel, it doesn't fit the naturalistic requirement of, of many, I don't know, modern day shows, books, whatever. So I, yeah, that part, the characters didn't always click for me there. They didn't always feel fully fleshed out or he, you know, human quote unquote to me, they felt a little bit of a type, but it wasn't, it's not awful. It didn't kill the story's momentum or anything. It just felt kind of, I don't know, eh, to me. I'm not sure if you mm. reacted that way. Um, I enjoyed his character work, but yeah, the dialogue, yeah. the dialogue didn't bother me as much just cause, um, like with the language and stuff like that, it's very, um, akin to, I, I guess like, uh, the Victorian era language where you have that stuffiness with the language yeah, with the dialogue heightened. anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's quite heightened. Um, yeah, and so it didn't bother me as much. Um, yeah, and, and even and his, in that story too, she's dying. So, you know, yeah. it, it has justification. I, I think it's not, 
and and maybe that's why I wasn't so off put by it. But mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Tolstoy stories had some you know high stakes and drama in them too. But just the narration did those stories no favors. And in these, yeah. Yeah. because the characters are, they feel like they're in it in a story, not in a moral tale. You know, right. lesson learned for kids or whatever. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I still, it still felt a little rigid to me here, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel like a roadblock or didn't feel like a, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Impediment. So nice. Any other quotes that you have you want to throw out there? Sure. Um, I also chose one from uh, the doctor one. Sure. And yeah. it says, although they were not wealthy people and here, the doctor is explaining, um, Alexandra's family here. Uh, Although they were not wealthy people, yet their culture was, I may say, rare. Their father had been a learned man, uh, a man, a writer. He had died in poverty, of course, but had managed to impart a splendid education to his children. Um, So I think part of the the reason that um, the that Turgenev had like the dialogue be a bit stilted, especially with the, the serfs, right? So with um, Cassian and with um, the patient's language, as well as the, the parent and everything else is he's the purpose of his writing these sketches, the sportsman sketches was to highlight that the serfs have like dignity, right? And that they don't deserve a life of like, uh, essentially like, uh, enslavement <laughs> and degradation. Right, right. Um so it might be stilted because he wants to give them that high class the culture, right? Uh and but he's maybe like messing it up a bit with the language, but I think that that might have been his intent and so that ties in with this quote in that he specifically is stating that these people are poor. They yes, have no right. money, but they are educated. They're good people. They are cultured. He specifically says cultured, right? Um, so that I think was his way of like driving that home. And yeah, yeah. I I had a difficult time with both of these stories trying to kind of suss out what the real purpose was because I felt like that the plot didn't really pay off in the end, which is why I, I said that it was like a without a plot twist right there's no yeah yeah you're left with kind of like what why did i read that the question of why right the theme what is the purpose of that so um yeah i think that this quote kind of tells me what the theme of the doctor story is yeah it's like i'll always remember this bumpkin this hot (laughs) bumpkin who died (laughs) (laughs) but she was cultured yeah she was good which of Uh, course they don't actually show that in the that's like a paragraph of exposition you know he spent many nice days there and they i'm sure recited poetry to each other or whatever yeah they that part is kind of brushed over to be honest yeah yeah but yeah, I think it, taken in the that analytical framework, yeah, I don't I don't even know if these have themes. If they do, it'd be that it'd be tough. That'd be like undergrad paper stuff of you got to you got to get in there. You got to start wrangling right. some stuff together then because I don't think you're going to leave either of these with a clear message of, you know, oh, they were saying this about Russian society at the time. I think right. They both have commentaries on religion for sure, Christianity. And they both have commentaries on the peasants, or the the serfs, and the working class. And yeah, beyond that, I, you know, we could probably read into a couple different angles. I'm I'm sure I'm certain, but yeah, it certainly. I I thought, for example, in the second story, the Cassian, that the the devil, the death stuff from the beginning was gonna in some way 
come through more clearly by the end, but I just didn't think that it did. There's ways you could read that story, though. Maybe those aren't people. They were meant to be, you know, representations of, I don't know, not ghosts, but... I, that story felt haunted, but it just felt like it pulled up short to me. But yeah. we're we're not here to fully go in. Let's remember our purpose. Sorry, I was going. I was about to go off on a tangent. We're just here <laughs> to recommend. Uh, but no, I th- I think th- saying that they pulled up, it feels like the right description and recommendation to me. So mm-hmm. let's yeah. talk about Russian formalism. This is the literary corner where we talk about and try and educate you, the listener, on some kind of literary theory or rhetorical device and relate it to the work. Again, we're going to talk about Russian formalism, which was a school, and probably still is, I guess, somewhere, but school of literary theory and analysis that emerged in Russia around 1915, devoting itself to the study of literariness, also known as the sum of devices that distinguish literary language from ordinary language, which that's still an ongoing debate. In reaction against the vagueness of previous literary theories, it attempted a scientific description of literature as a special use of language with observable features, especially poetry. The most important concept of the school was that of defamiliarization, which means that instead of seeing literature as a reflection of the world, formalists like this saw it as a linguistic dislocation or making strange of the world, which I bet that's where Gogol slides in, perhaps. Right. I, I don't actually know. I know this for sure he i don't think lived to see this movement right he was 1800s like mid he was yeah he was born in the early 1800s like 1813 or something like that yeah and then he died like i want to say in the 1880s not many people lived to be 100 in those times or now frankly so my bet was that he did not i wasn't trying to make light of it but yeah my thought was that he didn't the reason i pulled it though is because Frankly, I found this to be the most literary, but this could just be our the modern and then postmodern literary movements have infected my reading brain and you know, we've gotten exposed to those kinds of things. But mm-hmm. of all the Russian stuff we've encountered, other than maybe Gogol in the satire sense, but that was so lost on me because I didn't know any of the references basically, or I think. Right. Um but other than that, I thought this was the most literary. It was the most dense with devices and with kind of room for analysis. I don't know if you think it holds up to that kind of description. I I don't know if it ends up being, if it hits that de-familiarization check mark, so to speak, because I, I think he was trying to reflect the, the serfs world, the, the world right. of those downtrodden and working, but it also felt very literary to me. So not sure what you made of that combination. Yeah, I think this is, I, I agree with you, uh, of the Russian writers, except for um, Gogol, I think that this is the most literary that we've read among them. Um, yeah, yeah. Except for, uh, Conrad, was he? No, he, he is, he's old? like Belgian, but also English and some other. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. he's Belgian. Okay. So I was going to say, he also is very literary, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah so uh, Turgenev is the the writing like we've been talking about the imagery and and the play on language and stuff I think that's very much fitting for him he was uh more of like a, a realist as far as I I think the school of thought for him according to Wikipedia was that he was into uh, Russian realism yes but with the Russian formalism I think in particular the last bit which is the um, linguistic dislocation. That maybe could be related to um, the dialogue, right? Perhaps mm. they don't actually speak like that, and it's a heightening of um, discourse. 
Yeah. And and that's going to be maybe the if dislocation. If that's true, part. then Tolstoy, I mean, then he is the most dislocating, I believe. <laughs> maybe even Chekhov, too, had that. I, I did a solo review of Chekhov, and I'm really starting to forget some of the early episodes. That was kind of like a mid-early one. I really don't remember what that was like. I remember being unimpressed, thinking that he was, he, you know, he has a literary device named after him, and I just thought it would be... I don't know, a little more special or something, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's a good point. I, the Gogol, when I read that description, I was like, okay, that seems, I don't know if he wrote in that time period either, but he seems to check that box quite well. Then he died before like, um, Turgenev wrote his obituary. Oh, okay. So the same time. So neither <laughs> of them saw the Russian formalist movement yeah. then. Interesting. Okay. Maybe they both reflected the world maybe too much or something. Or maybe, maybe they just, maybe the formalists just didn't like their Gogol's work or something. That could be it too. Could just be yeah. like, well, it's not very literary to us then. It doesn't have, it's not poetry and doesn't have enough devices and is too literal. I know they yeah. were reacting against, it said in the, um, this was from the Oxford Literary Dictionary, but it said that they combated with the Marxist theorists a lot because Marxist theorists are really big on the conditions of the art reflecting real world conditions and so uh, you know that they kind of butted heads there um over that interpretation so interesting let's it is uh, yeah i thought it was pretty fascinating but definitely just to clarify for the listener one last time was not in that time period russian formalism but i think it you know there's some interesting developments there we could talk about Let's jump to the final part of the review then, Amanda. The actual review in two parts. The first will be the Russell French In Memoriam, So What's Good About It segment, where we genuinely praise the work. I thought this one was pretty good, but I'll let you go first, Amanda. What's What was good about it? Okay. Um, I liked the insightful treatment of the characters. They're, they seem really realistic. They're not just um, meant to stand in for one particular thing, but they have Mm -hmm. uh, emotions and thoughts that he um, tries to bring to life. And and I really enjoyed that, especially uh, considering like Tolstoy was just like mm, ham fisted with this person is like this and, and, and a very boring character and (laughs) yeah, for sure. Just a tool for my, my moral, so. <laughs> yeah, I think the, uh, well, now I'm thinking back to on Chekhov and Gogol, I think they both had clearer plots than Turgenev did, uh, but mm-hmm. I, but the, the storytelling was just more dry, it was more straightforward, so. Yeah. I thought my, what's good about it, I thought the setting work, I pulled the quote for a reason, was really delightful, like, especially yeah. compared to what we've been reading lately, which granted has been some poetry and stuff. I thought this had just a real freedom in it and a real, I wrote it, that it exhales. It just feels like it really lets it all out, um, which mm-hmm. I think some readers can take or leave stylistically. Sometimes that feels a little bit too self-congratulatory or too explore, exploratory, explorational. No, that's exploratory. Exploratory, that's, yeah. It's definitely not a word, the second one, just nounifying words unnecessarily. But yeah, I thought it had such a freedom <laughs> to it. And you could really, I thought you could really feel it that, he just seemed more interested in observing and finding small pockets to set a mood. I agree. So like my, I sometimes have an issue with writers who take forever to describe something. So specifically Dickens, right? I'm not a huge fan of Dickens because yeah, yeah. his writing is like, I mean, it is way too detailed sometimes because he got paid by the word, right? Or by the page or something. So of course he's going to like, <laughs> just drag it out as much as possible yeah, and to no sure. end right to, for no point this 
with Turgenev and um, even with Steinbeck, I know Steinbeck, people give him a lot of shit because they're like, oh, well, you know, his stuff is super long winded. Why does he have to describe everything in so much detail? It's because he was trying to create symbolism and uh, build up his motifs and stuff. So he had a purpose. And I think the same here with Turgenev, like it's a purpose, which is mood. It's not yeah, just, yeah. you know, description for no reason. For sure. And I, I think it, I think in both of them, it did create in the first one kind of a desperation, loneliness. And the second one, again, I thought that story was kind of haunted and kind of eerie, but I I don't know if it, the plot paid that off, but yeah. completely agree. And I've, yeah, I've never been a fan of Dickens either. He's It's weird. His name will always be up there in the, in the canon, so to speak, in English literature yeah. and never once connected with a book of his. I think I've tried two or three of them, and I don't even know if I've finished any of them, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. yeah so, oh, well, life is short. <laughs> I enjoy things at a faster pace. Yeah, maybe I'm a simpleton. Let's jump to our final recommendation. Then we rate on a simple three-tier system. Yes, no, maybe. Maybe it would be a qualified recommendation. The others would be yes, read this, or no, do not read this. I'll go first. I think this is a strong maybe. I think it's the best Russian stuff we've encountered. I wrote down again, we've covered Chekhov, Leskov, who I don't even remember. I think that was the Steel Flea, very forgettable. Dostoevsky, Gagol, Tolstoy. It's uh, of uh, those names, and granted, that's just one country's contributions, but I think this is the best. I think it was the only one of those where I immediately thought I'd like to see what this person would do with a novel. And so... I think that's compliment enough. But yeah, the stories were limp though too. I mean, it's like you said, I think the art house movie comparison is the most apt where you're not going to leave these feeling like, well, that wrapped up. You're going to leave them thinking, okay. And then, you mm-hmm. know, you'll probably have to go back, roll over some details in your head and revisit some things mentally to kind of put the story together in a sense. I don't think any of them were confusing, but yeah, it didn't. I think it, you have to walk a careful line because if you don't, if you leave too much room for interpretation, what you maybe end up leaving is just a big void of nothingness, which right. is equally that that's pretty much just as distressing and annoying as you know being told. So I think this one is these are good, but yeah, I think it's a maybe for most listeners. How about for you, Amanda? Um, I agree. I also said that it's a it's a maybe for a lot of the same reasons. I think um, of the Russian writers that we've read. I, I think that stylistically he is far superior mm-hmm. um his plot um is not as didactic as the other ones especially tolstoy yeah um, yeah and and not as like overhanded like just so religious i mean there are some religious aspects to it where it with but more so with the language than with any particular like discussion really except for yep. i guess with cassian but that doesn't even really pan out at all um, it was more almost like Cassian is not so much God, but more like related to Pan as far as his belief mm-hmm. systems. Anyway, digression. So, um, I would say that as long as you are not looking for something that's going to be like an adventure story or something that's super, uh, involved with the plot, uh, if you like just character work and setting and mood and just like, uh, that kind of writing. I think that this is a great fit. And, but if you really are bothered by plot, if you are really invested in plot, I think that you are not going to like this story. Um, these stories rather. So uh, it's stylistically, I love them plot wise. I wish that the ending had a bit more clarity. It's good to have open-ended endings, 
but also you want to have a clear meaning by the end for like what you built up to and he doesn't quite do that with these stories yeah it's good to leave with a person with multiple paths to walk down not lost in a forest (laughs) that's right you know (laughs) those are two different experiences where it's like well i could pick one of these three instead you feel like there's no path and you're just you've just been dumped somewhere and so (laughs) i think this is i think there's some paths in these but generally i if you didn't take the time to pause afterward and your reading hadn't been particularly close then yeah you could easily walk out just feeling kind of baffled or wondering what that was all about so right yeah i think that's a pretty thorough review and it may be you described it maybe perfectly it's it's right in that sweet spot so yeah Maybe read that, folks. If you're interested in some Russian literature, go for it. Next week, we have another review coming up. There are only, I think, five left now, which is mind-blowing, but I'm excited to be to be free of these <laughs> to be to be released from the prison of my own making as they all and always are <laughs> um but no we're doing we're going to cover virgil which is a massive name in the western canon roman poet probably the most famous roman poet of them all and this looks like a collection of pastoral verse steeped in wit and nostalgia and it looks very challenging so that's what we've got coming up next week if you've never read virgil then listen into our review. We'll see if he's worth reading. And until next time, we will see you between the classics. <laughs>